can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. Nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make product for them. We look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze. We race on Sunday, so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. Through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection, learn. How to make product for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision. For the 400th episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast, we went ahead and got scummy. Colin Morrison is a pioneer in the freestyle motocross community. So it's so cool, like, just how I got to see the sport evolve. We get an in-depth look in how things used to be in the community of freestyle motocross. Back then, partying was accepted because freestylers, like we were so new and raw, like everybody wanted to be a part of us. They pushed the limits of everything on and off the bike. The 
chicks, the drugs, the partying, it was all, I mean, I could tell stories and I don't think people would even believe me. With an extreme lifestyle, it's easy to let things get out of control. Alcohol uh, turned into downing vodka. Weed turned into this. Uh, I started doing cocaine for many years. You know, that turned into start dabbling with crystal meth. That turned into, you know, eating Norcos from every time I, I got hurt. Colin ultimately chose to save his own life while battling an addictive personality. I didn't realize this until like, I went to rehab, but I was an addict since I was a kid. Like, Colin left rehab with a brand new perspective. When you start doing the good thing and you're like honest to yourself and honest to everybody else, good things happen to you. My story is to tell people that you can lose everything from drug addiction, but if you give sobriety a shot, you can get everything back and you can be more happy than anything. So that's my deal in life. A new lease on life and a new mission. I don't care what people think and I just hope I can hopefully help people. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Colin Scummy Morrison. started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Justified Cultures, Moto Ice Wrap, and Traction MXE Covers. You can go to justifiedcultures.com and get 30% off your order by entering discount code BIGMX17. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than Colin Scummy Morrison. Scummy, how's it going? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you guys? Hey, not too bad, not too bad whatsoever. Gorgeous day up here in uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. How are things down in SoCal? Things are going good, man. It's uh, my new life. It's uh, it's a lot busier now, but in a you know every positive way imaginable. So uh, things are good, busy, but uh, things are good. Bottom line. Absolutely. Well, uh, for those who, uh, who don't already follow you on social media, where can they find uh, you and uh, follow your story a little bit closer in addition to uh, listening to this podcast? You know, like in this day and age, it's pretty much all social media. It feels like that's just kind of what everything's based around. So I would say pretty much my uh, my Instagram's kind of my biggest tool. And that's uh, the ad symbol Colin, C-O-L-I-N, underscore scummy, S-C-U-M-M-Y, underscore Morrison, M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N. And, you know, that's where uh, I kind of post everything I'm doing from work and riding to just 
you know, doing whatever in this next uh, big project I'm working on too, which uh, we'll talk about in a little bit, I'm sure. Perfect. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's save that for a little down the road because make sure people listen all the way to see that, uh, find out that little nugget. But uh, uh, take us, if you will, down uh, basically a, a week in a life or a day in a life of of Colin Scummy Morrison. Uh, you, you're a guy who wears a lot of hats uh, and a lot of nice hats, by the way, with, with uh, the the clothing company. So uh, uh, take us through uh, like kind of the ins and outs of uh, of your or your week. Yeah, like like I was saying, there's completely two different lives from the life I was living when I was riding every day professionally. And that was my number one uh, job. But now, um, you know, I, I took over my dad's business service and fire extinguishers and that's pretty much Monday through Friday. And um, he got stage four cancer about three years ago. And like me and my dad, we're so close. We, you know, just best friends, everything. And, you know, one morning he had a lump on his throat when he just really didn't know what it was. We were almost joking about it. You know, we went to the doctor and he said, you know, it's stage four cancer. Um, he never smoked. He never drank in his life. He was in Vietnam and, you know, they kind of think it was from Agent Orange over there. So they really don't know. But bottom line, yeah, you know, like I said, never smoked, never drank. Uh, so on, on top of everything I was kind of going through, just my new life of being sober and stuff, um, I had to really take charge on a lot of things. My dad's uh, divorced, so, um, you know, I had to step up and really just take care of him. And uh, if anyone's dealt with a parent or anybody dealing with cancer, they know how ugly that whole that whole thing can be, man. And it was really, really hard on me. But on top of that, my dad had um, a fire extinguisher business where, you know, you service um, extinguishers and every business out there every year your fire extinguishers need to be serviced. And that's what my dad did. He started it from absolutely nothing. He grew it into a huge business. So if he can't go to work, there's uh, he loses all the accounts. So I had to go to school. I had to take classes. I had to get licensed to take over the business. And so on top of watching, taking care of my dad, I had to um, step up. I, I pretty much took the reins in his business and, uh, you know, fast forward down the line, he's all healed up from the cancer, which is a miracle in itself. And then he just gave me the business. So it's just weird how things work out. You know, I have a pretty much a, a career for the rest of my life where it sure does make things a lot easier for me, you know, and it's nice. I don't really have a boss. I work my own hours, which gives me time to, you know, if I need a ride one day, um, I have a clothing company and an underwear company. So it gives me time to, you know, work on those companies. So pretty much I'm busy, man, with the fire extinguishers, uh, come home. I do my underwear company, which is in LA or my clothing company, which is in another city. Um, I love being active. So right when I get home from doing fire extinguishers, I get the running shoes on, I go five miles and I either go to my clothing company, underwear company. And uh, I'm pretty much nonstop, man, from when the sun comes up to the sun comes down. And I really just appreciate life so much more um, after going through everything I did with riding, almost losing my life drug addiction. Um, I, I literally wake up like it's Christmas every day, man. And the, you know, I tell people that, like, they don't know, they don't get what I'm talking about, but I said, like, going through my drug addiction was the best thing I could have ever done. Like, lo having everything at one time and losing it all, it makes me realize what I have today. Um, I lost everything from my drug addiction. I have everything back, but I had to work really hard, but now everything means so much to me, and, uh, you know, I feel like I can write a book about this, even 
having a normal job, what that means, you know, not having to just put your life on the line, worry about sponsors paying you if you don't do good, you know, just actually working like a normal person, making honest money. It's, uh, it's amazing. So every day is a blessing for me. You know, it just, it, it seems like it keeps on getting better and better every day, but that's only because I'm uh, sober. So, yeah. Then that that's incredible, and I, I seriously think think that it it couldn't have been better timing. You'd mentioned that just as you're getting out of out of rehab, uh, your dad is is diagnosed with stage four cancer. I don't think Colin Morrison uh, pre rehab would have been prepared to take the bull by the horns, get educated, and uh, and and basically um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps to 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 basically take charge in that moment. Um, it, it it was a huge moment for you, and without without that rehab, I don't think. We're, we're talking right now no me and my dad talk about that you know we talk about that every day um I believe in a greater power and somebody upstairs I don't go to church man but after all this it's really crazy um how everything worked out and it's really amazing like literally it, it was a perfect story you know I lost everything I went to rehab right when I got my shit together my dad had to deal with this but I got, I, you know, I manned up, I, I took care of him. I pretty much saved him. Um, he gave me his business. It just, everything worked out, man. Because like I said, um, I have an underwear company. I have a clothing company and I'm still doing stuff for sponsors, but really that's not paying the bills. You know, it takes so much money and so much time to generate, you know, money from companies that, um, I don't know what I'd be doing right now. You know, I'm sure I'd, I'd of course figure it out, but, uh, it, it, you know, this job my dad gave me definitely saved me and, you know, I saved him. It's just weird how things work out and it's really cliche, but it's so true. And I really try and put this on everybody, man. When you start doing the good thing and you're like honest to yourself and honest to everybody else, good things happen to you. And dude, like, I just feel like such an opposite person back in the day. And now that I, I truly changed it around, you know, and not just saying I am, but doing it for myself, just everything's happening uh, like clockwork, man. It's crazy. Just good things happen every single day, man. And, you know, even the bad things are good because I can deal with them now. So, you know, I just feel like I can kind of take on whatever right now. And, you know, every day is a bonus to me because I feel like I should have been dead, like, at least 50 times. So it really doesn't matter what happens in my life now. It's uh, no matter what, everything's going to be all good. So, yeah. Well, for sure. It seems like uh, you, you seem 50, foot, 50 feet tall and bulletproof in this in this fact that uh, taking on a monster like addiction, uh, really, like, if you're able to be successful in knocking that, um, really it sets you up to be successful with anything that you take on after that because everything else, whether it be a, uh, a marathon, whether it be a, a biathlon or, whatever, or triathlon, whatever you want to do, it just seems like small peanuts or a small hurdle to, to get over given the fact that you'd, you've come uh gotten over something so large so like does that kind of allow you to become honestly probably a better athlete now than you were as a professional 100 percent, man just to get into like kind of how i fell in uh when i started freestyle motocross and uh i think i did this i did the very first jump contest there ever was in 1999 so it's so cool like just how i got to see the sport evolve well you know like when we were wearing baggy pants people were talking shit on us and like i did the very first contest and just to be able to be in that that timeline of our era it's uh it's pretty rad all the things i saw you know but like back then partying 
was accepted because freestylers, like we were so new and raw, like everybody wanted to be a part of us, you know, from magazines, movies, just so much stuff. There's nobody seen anything like it. And every single week back thing, back then it was new stuff, you know, a new trick, a new this, a new that. So it, it was hot back then. But with that, the whole lifestyle with freestyle, it was freestyle and rock and roll, like the chicks, the drugs, the partying, it was all, I mean, I could tell stories and I don't think people would even believe me, you know, just stuff like that, but every day. And it was like, I was getting paid. I was a teenager traveling the world, uh, you know, just drugs, alcohol, they were coming to me. Um, and back then it was just accepted, man. The harder you party back then, like the more respect you got. So of course I got addicted to that. I don't know how a lot of these people didn't get addicted, but you know, fast forward, uh, like 10 years, um, when everybody's, when, let's just say when the backflip came out, you know, that's where a lot of guys in freestyle really either went right or went left. That's where overnight, I mean, guys were dropping, you know, I mean, guys like Tommy Clowers, Drake McGillary, these guys, yeah. these guys were the most talented dudes ever. But if you didn't flip, you were not progressing. You were not moving to the next step. Same thing with me. And it was a very, very dark, depressing time, you know, even for like Mike Sinkmars, you know, he's on top, but bottom line, if you don't flip, you're not going to the next level. So, you know, I never, uh, I, I did a backflip at Nate Adams, you know, I pulled it smooth every time, but I just, I remember the last time I did the flip and it was just because I was getting sick of my sponsors and just everybody handling me. So I'm like, dude, whatever, I'll go out there. I, I did it. But like the last time I'm, claustrophobic to begin with like i have a younger sister and like we always beat each other i mean she holds me down like i freak out but i remember at nate adams like the last time i nailed him like every time in the last one my my hand and this is when people weren't doing backflips so back then doing it i know everybody and their mother does flips it's not a big deal but back then it was still kind of raw so even me doing it in his pit it was kind of cool and then uh the last one my hand flipped off the bars and i remember I was upside down. I went straight in the pit and then the bike landed on me. I was like 10 feet under the phone, but it's not like what you think where it's, you can move around. You are trapped down there. The bike was on me. Gas was running down my face. I couldn't see the helmet was smashed on me. Like if I had a gun, 1000 bucks, I would have shot myself right there. Like I was like, I think I was crying. I was screaming. I was stuck down there for 10 minutes after that dude, I'm never doing this again. I'm never flipping. I'm completely over it. I don't care. I'll go work at McDonald's. Like I'm done. And like that, that just freaked me out. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of where my decline started happening. Um, you know, so I started doing some really big jumps, just trying to like prove like, all right, I'm not going to flip, but I'll show you guys. I'll go bigger than all you guys. And of course it made some cool movie parts for me, you know, double spread ads and magazines, but that didn't make no money. You know, I, I couldn't figure out how to make that turn that into boxes. They're not going to have long distance, uh, contests, you know, to make money. So pretty much, uh, you know, it's, I'm telling this story and it's like over a, a long period of time, but, um, you know, the drugs were always a problem. I was always a guy. Um, I'm going to go out, and risk my life on a dirt bike and do that. But when I'm partying, I'm going to go twice as big, just like my bike. It's, you know, so I would just take everything to the next level. And 
I didn't realize this till like I went to rehab, but I was an addict since I was a kid. Like everything is more. When I'm on my bike, I'm gonna go bigger than everybody. When I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna eat more than that. Just everything's more for me. There's nothing in the middle, and that's a really bad concoction when you mix that in with partying and when you get right. paid and to have travel the ability the to have yeah. access to things too. Yeah, and when you ride in front of thousands, people want to party with you. It's just like you know, it was it was too easy, you know. And uh, I just got caught up big time. Um, alcohol uh turned into fucking you know downing vodka weed turned into this uh, i started doing cocaine for many years and just on that subject getting, getting addicted to coke i could write a book you know that turned into start dabbling with crystal meth that turned into you know eating norcos from every time i i got hurt you know that turned into i, I every time i would get hurt i would like getting hurt because i know i would get pain pills, you know, that turned into my friend getting me onto a doctor that would prescribe me 125 Norcos, 80 Somas and 80 Xanax bar every two weeks, you know, and going through that. So now, yeah. Expenses. Excessive. Oh, I thought you said expensive because I got them for free, you know? So yeah, yeah, excessive. Yeah. And, but once you're addicted, you don't even realize it, you know? And like, so I'm doing all this stuff and that turned into all right, I can't get pain pills. Let's see what heroin is. And heroin's a really strong word, but you know, it's not even that bad when you do it. It's just like taking pain pills. But once you start doing that, you get addicted. You don't even know what's going on. Then on top of that, on top of losing my sponsors, because I'm not doing any of the contests on top of me, not progressing in riding, losing sponsors, losing money. I would start getting high and doing more drugs to mask what's really going on that I need to pay more attention to my riding and this and that, but it's too late. You know, before I caught that, I was full blown addicted to drugs. just completely everything my parents raised me not to be. My parents never touched alcohol, never drank. I was raised from a perfect family. Just, I got mixed up, Uh, just getting everything handed to me too easy. The lifestyle, uh, there's so many things. I, I, you know, I just can't really pinpoint it. I just, it just one thing led to another. Um, and I, you know, became a full blown drug addict, man, where that was my life. And it's sad because looking back at it, riding dirt bikes is my life. You know, when I wanted my right. first bike, I would cry every single night to my dad and, and cut out pictures of dirt bikes and place them every single cabinet in my dad's house so every time he had to open up a drawer for anything he would see a picture of a dirt bike you know me getting home from school and me like putting on my my bmx riding gear because i didn't have a dirt bike yet to mimic me a dirt bike rider i would just be in my dirt bike gear in the garage for hours you know just i couldn't ride so i think that'd be the next best thing just everything was motocross but i'm just getting back to like everything started with it turned into something else, man. And I didn't care about dirt bikes. It was all about the drugs. It was all about just getting high. And I'm working on on a documentary about this and we can talk about this in a bit, but I can't explain everything in this interview. It would take too much. Like I said, I could tell you guys stories you wouldn't believe. And it's very sad because um, I know what people out there addicted to alcohol or drugs are dealing with. That's my mission in life to give back and to show people you can get your life back. But to fast forward, um, yeah. So I started losing completely everything, um, getting DUIs, getting arrested for stupid stuff, you know, 
no criminal offenses, you know, just drunk in public, getting caught with pills, all this. Everything started to stack up, man. Um, Metal Militia, they, I, uh, I, they called me one day. We were working on a, a Metal Militia TV show for MTV. We were filming every single day. It never aired because they never picked it up, but we were filming the pilot. And I remember one day, Deegan called me and said, all right, you got to come over tonight. We're going to film for the pilot again because we're doing it like every other day. So I go over there and this time I went over there and every single person was lined up around the, in a circle, just what you see on TV, like interventions, man. It was really? a really gnarly day. I go in and like, I don't know if you guys have sure heard of Pennywise, but they're my friends, the band. They were all there. Um, Deegan, Lust, Twitch, all the guys back then, you know, all the, the top guys in freestyle were there. You know, they, they knew I was going down the wrong road. Um, they tried to have an intervention with me. I told them, you know, it was a really, really dark and crazy night. Um, I pretty much told everybody I'm not going. I can do this on my own. And it's really sad looking back how I had the best friends ever that really wanted me to do good and change my life. And I look at it. I look at it now. Like if I would have went to rehab back then, that was like in 2007, I probably could have got my stuff together, got back on the bike, started flipping, probably maybe could have got more on top, you know, because I was always really good on a bike. Uh, I just never put any effort into it. And I think about that, like, well, what if I went to rehab and I would have made it on top? So what if I did that? Let's say win a couple X Games gold medals. Let's say I get paralyzed a year later and I'm never able to walk again. It's just weird, like, thinking about it. And, I, you know, I think now, like, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it exactly how I did because I went through complete hell but it made me who I am today. And now I'm able to tell my story, give back to others that are dealing with addiction, telling people that there's a way out. So everything worked out for the right reasons. But anyway, so after the intervention, I said, it, I, I got it. Uh, and two days later, me and my, my buddy went to go fill up our prescription. My best friend OD'd in my truck on the way home. I was sitting shotgun. He was in the back. He fell asleep and I got to my house and he died he was dead. So, you know, of course, uh, things just went really bad after rehab. My best friend OD'd, um, you know, a week later I got another DUI, um, passed out of my truck, you know, everything went from bad to horrible. And then once it was horrible, it got even worse for probably the next two years. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, like I said, all this stuff's going to be in my documentary. And, uh, and like I said, this documentary I'm doing, it's not to show everybody that I was such a sick rider and, to tell people that because it's not, I wasn't, I don't even think I was that good. I never really did much. You know, my story is to tell people that you can lose everything from drug addiction, but if you give sobriety a shot, you can get everything back and you could be more happy than anything. So that's my deal in life. And that's what I'm trying to say. So, uh, for sure. So, yeah. And like, you've definitely like a, a second chance and, uh, I capitalized on that as well. Like, I, I, <clears throat> I don't know the party scene in Southern California. I come from humble beginnings here in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, but I, I wonder how a young man goes from 
honestly, like you're pretty humble as far as uh, and modest about how your your skills affected uh, the the movement that was the beginning of uh, like the, a huge movement. You're basically you were on on scene day one of of Metal Militia, and uh, you're basically standing next to a kid like Travis Pastrana on a landing in uh, San Francisco at Gravity Games 2000, and uh, only five years later, basically. Uh, for for lack of better words, removed from the sport because of uh, like basically partying. Yeah, but uh, you know, I for some reason I seem to hang in there for a long time. Even when I was partying, I still seemed I would say just to do enough tricks to do jump shows. So even on top of partying, like people, I they wouldn't believe even all the stuff I was doing, even high on a bike. You know, so um, you know when things were getting slow, that's when I did the train jump. You know, I jumped, you know, fifth year over moving train just to show everybody I still got it, you know. So I let it hang as long as I could go until there's until I burnt every single bridge and there's just no way out. So uh, I hung in there as long as I could um, until there's no there's nothing out, nothing left. I mean, um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's I, I get bummed thinking about it. But then again, I look back at it, I had so much fun, man. Like, I'm telling you, there's a lot of dark stuff when it really got dark. But, dude, it was like back then, all the freestyle guys, we were all like characters. You had the flying wine, You had, like, you know, Militia, Pastrana, the good guy. You had, like, the twitching scummy ushers causing havoc. We had the time of our life. Like, looking back Heck at yeah. it, I'm get, if I have to die tomorrow on my, on my deathbed, I'm going to go, I'm going to die a happy man. There's not one thing I'm ever going to scratch my head and be like, man, I wish I could do that. You know, I did so much. So I definitely lived it up uh, until, like I said, I burnt every bridge. So I had a great time, man. And that's a part, like everything you heard about seeing TV, about like the metal militia, what freestyle was in the early 2000s. It was, it was crazy back then. Um, it was just, uh, I'm glad I got to live through that, you know, and see everything change. And, you know, like I said, just trying to make the most of it. But for the most part, I'm I'm glad I did everything I did. Led me to where I am now. And um, I had a great time doing it. You know, the the last five years of my, my riding career were complete hell. Uh, you know, I, I stuck in there, but I think people knew, fans knew what I was going through, they knew I was, you know, just going down the wrong path. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people just knew it was a matter of time before I just killed myself, somebody, or, you know, just whatever. But, you know, thank God I didn't. I'm still alive and uh, I can tell my story. But, yeah, everything seemed to work out, man. Obviously, uh, the scene in the early 2000s was uh – completely unworldly as far as uh, the party scene it's been depicted in videos whether it be uh the the crusty demons of dirt or any any of those videos you you saw it do you feel like that's continuing today and and what's what would be the uh what's the scene like now or like kind of is is that party stuff still happening (laughs) yeah i think free it's a totally different deal now you know if you had a guy like me right now out there partying getting wasted flipping off people you know back then it was funny it was accepted it was like molly crew rock and roll but now it's like the the level of riding has progressed so much that there is no way like freestyle guys are going to bed at eight o'clock they're training 
it turned into something really gnarly. Like now if you crash on your, your tricks, you're, you're going to get really hurt. So the evolution has changed so much from what it was back then. But, um, here's my deal is that I really don't care what people think about me no more because I have a normal job. I have nothing to lose, you know, so I can tell my story very openly and you can love me. You can hate me. I don't care because uh, I did what I did. I can't change that. I'm making the best for it. And all I'm trying to do is help others that are like dealing with addiction. But man, motor, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff still going on in the motocross world, you know, and I'm not everybody, but there's still, you know, a lot of people, you know, I mean, when you, when you ride dirt bikes, you break bones, bottom line. And there's a lot of people that are still addicted to pain pills and still, you know, maybe you can't say that you can't admit you have a problem or, you know, you need good help. Because if you do that, you're going to lose sponsors and whatnot. But I know there's some guys out there that, you know, reach out to me. So I know that, you know, pain addiction, pain pill addiction, all that opiates, it's a humongous problem in the world and any extreme sports because, you know, these crooked doctors are just giving these riders so many pain pills and stuff. And yeah, I mean, a lot of people get addicted to them, you know, they like the way it feels. I'm not the only person that's addicted to drugs and like pain pills, you know, like I was getting pain pills since I started riding bikes because I would get hurt. So like I said, I have nothing to lose. So I can tell my stories openly and as I want it. And hopefully one person out there is going to hear me and be like, Oh my God, like I'm going through the same shit. Maybe it's not as gnarly as his story, but I know what he's talking about. I know the feeling like, I'm taking this pill, I'm taking this, and I can't get off it. I don't know how. I can't tell my family. I can't tell my sponsors because people are going to look at me weird, you know, um, and I get that. And there's totally a way out, whether it's any meetings, um, just coming out clean, going to rehab, you know, just making sobriety number one. And that's my biggest thing. I, I've told my story so many times, and I've seen so many people reach out to me, and, you know, they don't straight up, like, dude, I, I know what you're going through. Um and people that reach out to me like that, I, I get back to every single one. If they need me to tell them what I did for me to get help, I'll help every single person I can. But addiction is out there worldwide, no matter what. Um, I'm, I feel, you know, good. I'm, I'm kind of so open. Some dude, some of the stuff, I mean, you know, I tell my mom and dad, don't listen. I know they know what I did, but I, I'm really ashamed of some of the stuff I did. But like I said, I can't go back in time and change that. So I might as well just accept it like a man and, you know, hopefully somebody out there will hear my story and uh, relate. Maybe they might go to an AA meeting. They might look into rehab, whatever it is. So I guess absolutely. um, when I, when I wanted to get you on the phone, uh, there's, I knowing coming into this conversation, so I take it very seriously is that, uh, throughout the, the this hour or hour plus that we're going to chat, we could very well save a life. And that's, that's not like, it's like kind of like, like kind of, uh, like not taking or going to take credit for something or like that, but that the reality of addiction and, uh, the reality of just talking about it, that's why it's so important is to not skirt around it, not, uh, um, kind of glorify it in any way also is that, uh, this could easily get somebody, uh, to, to make that call or go to an A meeting like you said, and yeah, it's like one person and that would be, that would make more, more than worth it. And 100%. That's what I said. Like, uh, I would do it all over again to be in this position. And let, let me tell you, I'm nobody special, you know. I rode a dirt bike. I, I 
whatever made a name for myself, but I'm nobody special, you know. Uh, I had everything at one time. I lost everything. Um, and I'm just being open with my story. I went to rehab with two T-shirts to my name, completely lost everything, all my friends, family, everything. I went to rehab. I stayed there for 30 days. Every single day, I just did what they said. I was so happy to get my life back, to actually wake up and realize I don't have to take a Norco. I don't have to take something, not just to get me high, because in that stage of my addiction, it wasn't even to get high. It's because my body physically had to. And that's what addicts out there, I know people are listening out there and they know what I'm talking about, that when you're at that level, you don't do it to get high and like, oh my God, this feels so good. This is sweet. It's just to make your body feel normal again. I mean, at one stage, I couldn't get out of bed. Like, my body physically wouldn't let me. Like, just throwing up, really? diarrhea, cramps in my knees so bad. Like any opiate, any person addicted to opiates knows what I'm talking about right now. Cramps in your, you can't stand, you can't walk. It's literally, I would sometimes, at that time, when I'm doing going through withdrawals, I would rather take and do just, break my kneecap it it was so bad so then you know once you get high or get your next fix take the next pill all you do is you feel normal again and then you feel a hundred percent you know there's a lot of times back in the day when i was high i was jumping i was functioning but really i wasn't i was high but you really couldn't tell because it was just making me normal you know and i'm sure i wasn't i'm sure people knew but like i wasn't drooling on myself i was never like that i was a functioning addict you know, where I could pull my day. I was never like, just like I said, at home drooling on myself, couldn't fucking talk anything. I was functioning, you know, um, maybe at 75%, but I was still pulling it, you know? And, uh, so yeah, for the most part, I just had to get high to wake up and just to get through my day. And it's sad, you know, how dude, I just, I tell you, man, I go to AA meetings. It's not, you know, people see me, oh, this guy's tattooed, rides bikes. Man, you guys have no idea. Like, <laughs> there's so many people out there that are addicted. Um, you know, parents, somebody, I'm sure if you talk to one person, you know, either they have somebody in their family addicted, somebody they know. It's just a really big, big topic. And uh, not too many oh, people sure. are open with it. You know, so and and bigger than people realize. Like we're we're not talking about uh, only adrenaline ad- uh, adrenaline sports yeah. athletes that they can get ad- addicted to something like this. We're talking about drugs that basically take pain away. And I think if anyone has experienced pain, whether that's a uh, a surgery or whether it's a uh, a headaches or this that and the other thing, if like. The, the what the pills do is they alleviate pain, uh, inflammation, and for the most part make make you feel good. And uh, anyone can get addicted to that sensation. And then, like you said, your body needs that uh, that that substance to feel yeah. normal. And, and, that's, and that's, that is when things get really dark. Yeah, and that turns into like it's not just opiates; it's anything. You know, you can be addicted to it's food. You know, I'm not addicted to food, but I mean, it's just if you have an addiction problem, it's it's a horrible thing, man. And um, yeah, I'm just straight up. There's just there's a way out, and um, life is so good now, man. I dude, I just like I said, I wake up every day like it's Christmas. Um, and yeah, I'm just so full of life now. It's uh. It's kind of even hard to talk about, man, because I, I have a smile on my face right now. And I'm just talking about waking up tomorrow, you know, going to work. So, 
It's okay. uh, my life is really good, man. I'm uh, really blessed. So yeah. Hey, this is Zach Cummins from Phoenix Racing Co. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to commercial. We'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live what you love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Maddie Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Cultures clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So, we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. This is a test of your racersindex.com awareness. This was a test to see if you're ready to be found at racersindex.com. Supercross and Arena Cross are coming up. Now is the time to secure your position on a team. Mechanics, models, riders, flaggers, team owners, production specialists, anything related to racing. Be found at racersindex.com. Click it for your ticket to be found and become part of the racing industry. Racersindex.com, your ultimate race production resource. Visit racersindex.com now. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with Oats and Bran. Oats and Bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Hey, this is Adam with Vexy MX, and you're listening to the Big MX Podcast Radio Show. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. Well, I, I couldn't be happier to hear that, man. It's uh, um, You're a guy that uh, I was a fan of growing up. Uh, like Obviously, I've been a racer my entire life, but always kept my finger on the pulse of, of freestyle and then that movement and the progression of that. Um, if like, and I, I'm so glad to see you coming out on the other side of all this uh, triumphantly and strong. And honestly, like I said, 50 feet tall and bulletproof because there's not a single thing that uh, you take on that you can't handle at this point because, like I said, You've already conquered your biggest mountain, and that's, uh, t- to me, uh, the the biggest victory in all this. Oh, no, that means a lot. And like I said, um, and like I said, people out there know what I'm talking about. If you can get through drug addiction, you can, like, get, go through anything, man. And I've been through broken bones, death, uh, just everything thrown at me, man. And uh, if I could go through rehab and 
after rehab, you know, I was so pumped just to have my life back. I decided to stay in sober living another 60 days. So, you know, I definitely put the work in. Nobody forced me to go to rehab. I wanted to stay. I wanted to just get my life better and better. And um, that really helped me out in the long run. So, uh, yeah. No I don't know where I'm going with um, well, with uh, would you would you mind going down memory lane with me a little bit and talking about uh, the earliest days of, of freestyle? Because you'd mentioned that basically every week, every day, new tricks were being in, in, invented and and involving. Uh, where was your part in all of that? And and how did you kind of uh, get uh, linked up with uh, the metal militia? Riding, yeah, that, like, t- take me all the way back if you can. Yeah, I'll take you all the way back. So. Um... The first time I saw a dirt bike, my dad took me to Mickey Thompson off-road racing. And that was like an off thing from Supercross. It was truck racing at like all like Angel Stadium, everywhere where they have a Supercross. And the halftime show, they had dirt bikes. And that was called Ultra Cross. You know, Jim Holly, Mike Craig, yes. a lot of Supercross drivers started from that. My dad took me to the truck race because my dad, he grew up riding dirt bikes, but never was like really big into it. And dude, when I saw that two-stroke, oh done deal the next day the smell of two-stroke ass i was i was beyond hooked man it was uh, it was a passion from there um i bugged like i said cutting out pictures of dirt bikes putting them everywhere in the house that's all i talked about that's all i i ate i breathed i slept dirt bikes my dad started me off with a, a bmx bike and back then nobody wore like the full face dirt bike helmet i wanted i remember everybody at the bmx track making fun of me just saying a dirt bike track get that helmet off and sometimes i'd have a can on my front tire to make it sound like a dirt bike like such a dork back then but i didn't care i just wanted a dirt bike i couldn't get one at the time so i tried to act like i had a dirt bike through my bmx bike got really good at bmx bike and uh at bmx racing and then one day, my dad pulls me out of school, tells me I have to go to the dentist. I uh, said, so this is weird. I didn't know about this. My dad said, all right, we got to go home really quick. We got to go get something. He opens the garage, and I swear to God, like, you know in those movies where you can, like, see Jesus and the, the harmony of, huh? Like, dude, I saw the glow behind the dirt bike. There was music. I think angels were fine, but, dude. I got my first dirt bike. After that, it was a done deal. Started, so we're going to fast forward because I could talk forever, but started to get it, you know, went through the ranks, 80 beginner, 80 novice, 80 intermediate. My dad started riding with me. Um, it was cool. He got a bike. We'd go, he, we'd race together and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, so I rode his bike when I got big enough, got on his 125, and um, and that's when I started getting on the big bikes. And then we went to the dirt bike some dirt bike store getting air filter, whatever. And then in the corner of the shop, they're playing a movie. And usually back then the dirt bike movies were so cheesy and crusty demons of dirt was on. But back then, if people can remember this, it was life changing for a lot of us. I saw oh, yeah. Seth and Vo's part was on there. When I saw Seth and everything that was so cookie cutter, every, all the racers were such squares. Yeah. I was in the racing because that's all I knew. When I saw Seth, the tattoos, the spiky hair, the going big on your dirt bike, the chick, I'm like, oh, my God, that was my new deal. That was Sign it. Me up. Bugging my dad for LBZ pants. Um, that's where it started. That's where, like, when I'd go to the races, I got the 125 Intermediate Pro. I was freestyle before there was freestyle because 
all the races, I would try and come in dead last, but I would find the jump. I'd go to the tracks where there was the biggest jump in front of where the bleachers were, and I would just do, you know, back then, no-footed can-cans, which was a big deal back then. This was like 97, doing saran wraps, and that was really starting. People were watching me, like, practice. People would just gather up and watch me do these tricks, and then one time I went to Star West, and it was a practice session. I just found the biggest jump, and my dad was so supportive. He didn't try to come and did last. He was pumped to watch me do tricks and stuff. So, um, and there was no freestyle back then. But Krusty Demons was out. Was out, and uh, Seth was my hero. He was like, uh, he was bigger than anybody back then. And uh, so I was riding, doing my thing, and Seth Enslow pulls up at the track. I couldn't believe it. So I saw him there. I started doing jumps, just starting getting crazy. And he was with John Freeman and Dana Nicholson, the guys that made Krusty. And they couldn't right. believe this kid, this little 15-year-old kid going for jumps. You know, Seth was barely doing, just going for it. So they got my number. They, they invited me on a trip. I was too young. My dad couldn't go. So my, my older friend, uh, Chris Taylor, he took me on my first Krusty Demons of Dirt trip. That's where I got introduced to a lot of things. I saw these guys doing wasted some smoking weed some just everything i saw in the crusty movie i saw in real life and as a kid i never saw that i was like oh my god this is like it's still pretty cool you know like this is what i want to do and then everything started to really go fast forward because once i got in with them you know back then there was nothing going on and then uh you know what did it start i got invited to x games no it was costa mesa coast 1998 oc fairgrounds Let's see. No, no. Before that, it was the um, the Four Leaf Entertainment Group. That's where that was the first organized freestyle contest. It was at Tacoma, Washington, Tacoma, Washington, the Tacoma Dome. The second event was at Lake Havasu. That's where Travis Pastrana tried to do that huge transfer and dislocated Broke his himself. spine from his hip. Yeah, I was yep. right there. I, I was out on the course before him, so I did that. Also on a 125, I might add. Yeah, yeah, I was the only guy on the 125 with Travis, so that was a big deal. People would like, yeah, this guy's going for it. And then during Havasu, that's when Twitch joined up. So that's when a, Twitch was another guy on the 125. And then we did Las Vegas together, and then me and Twitch kind of caught each other's eye from, you know, we didn't know each other, but we were both on 125s going for the biggest jumps. And then Remember a couple months later, we did the 1998 Costa Mesa Fairgrounds. This contest, I look at it, was the changing period in freestyle because I remember I was standing with Tommy Clowers, Mad Mike Jones, Clifford, Kerry Hart, Sink Myers, Mickey Diamond, Metzger, Seth. You know, we were all sitting at practice, and they bring out this ramp. Back then, a ramp was like a dinosaur because you've never seen it before. We're like, what is this thing? You know, they pull it out. They have two ramps in the middle of this course, and people were tripping. Like, dude, I, this is crazy. And, you know, that was the, that was it. That was the first freestyle contest with a ramp. And, um, you know, we did it. I remember the whole crowd went so crazy when Kerry Hart won. All he did was grab the back fender and did like a no-footer and just kind of, not a seat grab, a seat didn't go extend, just kind of no-footer and put his seat back. People shit people were cheering so loud it felt like this stadium was going to collapse so that's where freestyle like that's where it started so pretty much i was there from day one me and twitch started to connect uh he was a punk like me just two little kids ripping and then me and bo manley he's then we started to do the ifma contest started to 
evolve and that's where it was um like where they have arena crosses they would have freestyle contests but every single week in a different state and that's where we really linked up me twitch and bow we were the troublemakers we linked up we you know caught gun a big for that we'd go out there the guy in first place we'd go out during his run we'd roost him just on and we weren't doing this like oh let's let's do this for a show we just did it just to laugh like whatever the promoters told us to do we would do the complete opposites we would do anything just to piss off the promoters because back then they couldn't kick us out we were it we were the show so we could get away with so much stuff and there would now freestyle everybody's a freestyle rider you know but back then it wasn't like that we were it that's yeah, why like every single yeah so we we just we ruled it we we're on top and yeah back then every single week was like oh my god you see that guy do a double secret he does a secret with two hands like and then just every 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 week people are blown away and that's like freestyle and nobody will understand how cool that was back then and just you know evolving that's where it just got big and that's when you know video games came out that's when magazines uh the news just everything because nobody's seen this before these guys tattooed up going for jumps they we just did the craziest stuff back then you know just everybody wanted a piece of us uh for it everything you know it's just it was a really cool time every single week we we're getting phone calls to go to this part of the world to do this video shoot to go hang out with these famous people just every week was something crazy and it was it was really cool man it was and, but you know looking back at it i couldn't slow down to even appreciate it because i thought that's how life was going to be the rest of my life you know it was just exciting so looking back at it I, like I said, I got stories people wouldn't even believe, you know, and it's rad to say that. And all my friends that were there with me, they know what I'm talking about. It was just a cool life, but I never really got to enjoy it while I was doing it because it was, it was just so fast. It was so, it was evolving so quick every single day, every week we were just traveling, doing this, doing that, making so much money. It was, it was a really cool time back then, you know, freestyle is never going to be like that again. It's sad. You know, I personally think freestyle dead in a way. It's really not dead, but it's just evolved so much. Like if you're a kid on the couch and you want to become uh, a freestyle rider, like good luck, man. You know, you pretty much have to go out there and you literally have to put your life on the line. You know, you've got to go do a triple backflip and go put it on YouTube to get noticed because there isn't, you know, I know Travis Pastrana, he's doing a lot and that he's like the only guy really pushing it. There are, avenues but it just the sport elevated so much where <clears throat> hey, it's not sad but it's just not what it was and it's just so crazy these guys are so talented man and um it's just a whole different world now you know um, yeah I, I don't really know much more to say about that well, it, it seems like at the time, uh, you guys were pushing each other on the bikes, and I imagine there was a, a ton of seat time as well as time off the bikes, and I feel like you guys were pushing each other off the bike just as much as you were on the bike, kind of like one-upping each other uh, as far as who's going to do the biggest trick, who's going to do the biggest... Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, when you're out there, when you're out there riding, back then, like we we rode every day. It was like it was just so much fun. We would, I would, I was living at Twitch's and Bo Manley's house, and every day we'd wake up, take a four foot bong rip, you know, and just go ride through the streets to Manny's house. Manny's is where I did that huge two hundred twenty foot jump. It was rad because I remember back in the day, it's a humongous landing, and then a huge jump in front of that and then a jump way behind that. I remember like McGrath, all the top guys, they were out there, but they were only doing the one before that. And it was huge. Those guys, you know, it was 
it was a big jump. And I remember one day I went out there and I went for the jump way behind the jump McGrath and those guys were doing. It was 220 feet about where you were landing. And I remember I went out there and dude, I remember that like looking at it now, I wasn't even, I wasn't even uh, sketched out or nothing. You know, nobody even looked at this jump. I just went out there and I'm like, yeah, yeah, watch this. This is baby shit. I got this fifth gear, you know, on it and just greased it. Did it so smooth. And you know, that's after his wind up doing four foot bong ups going there. That's like the level. Like I felt like I was at, like, I just felt so comfortable, comfortable on the bike. I could do anything, you know? And that's when we really started elevating stuff, you know, just, just waking up, going riding. We'd go session the 200 foot dirt to dirt hit all day, come home, wake up and do it all over again. You know, it was so we had so much fun, man, but like literally living on the edge every single day. And yeah, when you do stuff like that, when you jump in front of thousands, you're doing these crazy jumps for no money, just going for it. And then you like go out and party or you go host a club. Like you think I'm going to go there and go sip a coffee or go, Oh yeah, let me get an iced tea. Yeah. Right. I'm going to go get the biggest thing of Jack and Coke. And after I'm done drinking it, I'm going to go throw that glass bottle as far just to go watch it break on something just for fun. And, you know, just try and get kicked out or something, you know, we just elevate no matter what we did, we would just take it to the next level. And, you know, we had a lot of fun doing it, but I don't know, it's kind Plus, of funny. The, the ladies didn't <laughs> mind either, Colin. I, I very much doubt the ladies minded any of those actics. <laughs> no, they didn't, man. That's a whole different well, You also got too, a chance yeah. to travel the world uh, impressing ladies with uh, both tricks and uh, smashing a few bottles here and there. Uh, like, What were some of, like, as far like, I don't want to glorify your partying days whatsoever, but it, having a good time is not something to, to be shamed about at all either. And like what I said, like, uh, when I talk about the dark stuff of my addiction, that was later on down the line. But, like, when we were just, like, the militia, having fun, doing a good event, and then going to the parties after, dude, picture all of us back then, but all of us together, man. You wouldn't, like I said, there's stories I can't even tell on this. Just the craziest nights, like, how all of us are still alive. Like, if you interview all those guys, they're going to be like, dude, like, if you bring up those times back in the day, like, I don't know how I survived, like, every single night was like going to Vietnam and back. It felt like it was just, it was unreal how we survived at least one of those nights. And this was every single night, you know, it was, it was crazy. You watch these rock and roll documentaries about how crazy these guys were, but at the end of the day, you know, the worst thing they can do is break a nail when they're playing the guitar. Like we were living that lifestyle, but getting on our bike and jumping hundreds of feet and then partying just as hard. So, uh, we definitely lived the lifestyle. Back then, Metal Militia was a gang. Like, wasn't a gang where we were smuggling drugs and killing people, but we were a gang. Like, we had each other's back. We did everything together. We went bigger than everybody. And when we were talking shit back then, like making Militia core and all that, we backed it up, you know, in every single avenue. And people respected that. People never messed with that. But that's how Metal Militia grew. Metal Militia didn't grow because we sold... 200 t-shirts in a matter of five minutes you know it wasn't like that we were spray painting metal militia on our t-shirts it started from us backing up all the shit we could talk you know so that's how metal militia started you know we talk shit but don't think we can't back it up and we did every single time and you know we yeah people know what's up about that whole topic but uh yeah we backed up what we uh what we said and we had a good time doing it 
and we probably pissed off a lot of people in the process, but I think we had so much fun that it was all worth it. We decided. Well, no one ever got anywhere playing by all the rules. You guys decided to break all of them, uh, but it was for for all the right reasons, and it was to to create that individuality that created these uh, these characters that people could follow, and this unity of being part of something. There's a lot of people uh, that see the Metal Militia logo as as just as being a, uh, associated with and involved in, in a family that is dedicated towards. Uh, and it's kind of it's kind of almost a fluid term now because it's metal militia is kind of the eye of the beholder a little bit. And if, if you believe it, it is uh, uh, like freestyle motocross it can be freestyle motor. It's just having a, uh, an attitude and, and what, coming into things with confidence and taking care of business. It can be that too. Uh, but in reality, you guys really shaped um, an entire culture of people who really uh, kind of carried themselves in a, in a certain type of way. Yeah, and we did that. Like, back then, we never knew that. We never thought Militia was going to get this big. I never did. Or us as characters. We never thought that. We were just living every day like it was our last. And I think Deegan had a master plan. He was always a great business guy. He saw it. But even I know for a fact, he never thought it was going to get as big as it did. You know, all of us, we were just riding the train, you know, every day. And looking back at it, how big freestyle is and knowing that back then we started something, I'm very proud of like what we started, you know, we did pioneer all this stuff, you know, and uh, at the time, nobody in freestyle thought it was going to get to this level. You know, we thought it was, there's a couple of times we thought the sport was going to die out, but, um, you know, it, it grew into something big. Uh, the metal mush, no way would any of us have thought it would got to this level, you know, because back then we were just causing trouble, backing our shit up and uh, just, you know, pretty much backing our stuff up. And uh, it turned into something really huge. And I don't think anybody was really, really ready for it or expecting it, you know. Um, you know, it's really cool to look at, I guess, you know. So... Well. How how healthy is the relationship within that family uh, and, and its and its members? I noticed like uh, I, I I don't see a, a metal militia logo uh, on your on your bike, and uh, I, I'm not too sure why why that is. But uh, well, like, how often do you talk to Brian? How often do you talk to Larry? How often uh, do you it's talk a, to uh, a guy like Twitch? It's a sore subject, uh, just about the team itself. I'm not even gonna like get into this topic because there's some stuff uh going on right now let's say that metal militia is rebranding itself and a lot of things you guys are going to see a lot of crazy things go down but pretty much i never sold out with militia i always stuck to my guns um a lot of things in around 2011 12 got really weird with the militia it really started to get really corporate kind of divide a lot of people at the end of the day i'm those guys are family. Everybody's family. A lot of people got in fights, got, you know, whether it was egos, whatever it is, money, um, went through a lot of rough patches with everything. Um, me and Deegan talked to him all the time. I talked to Larry for about an hour, you know, right before this call. I talked to him all the time. I talked to Twitch every week, mainly every day. You know, we are, brothers till the end we all know that there's a lot of rough patches but there's going to be some things coming up um in the future and you know i don't know if i really want to touch on it too much but um militia got all really right, that, corporate that's totally where, fine. I, I yeah but I'll, I'll i'll just talk about it a little bit there's the reason there's no sticker on my bike it it got to 
got to a level I think more she just got too corporate. Uh, you know, I don't even want to touch on that really. But uh, yeah, we'll talk to you off there. But a lot of things are gonna you're gonna see a lot out of Melissa coming up. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll we'll leave it there. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the 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 machines that you rode throughout your uh, your career because you're a guy who like. like Freestyle was completely different than racing machines. A lot of these, these the bikes you guys were riding were very different from uh, like we were very production based, and uh, like you guys were using suspension that was a lot stiffer. Honestly, probably just as stiff as the the Supercross suspension is now. It was probably stiffer than the Supercross mm. even was when when the guys were racing it in that in that era. Tell me a little bit about uh, kind of like the progression of the jumps, progression of the tricks, and the progression of the motorcycle because you guys were pushing the limits of spokes foot pegs you name it yeah i remember back then uh pretty much back then your typical freestyle bike for me a lot of the guys was a cr250 and i remember back then in freestyle you know i remember that contest nobody had a cutout grab handle because nobody knew what a seat grab was but i remember once carrie hart did the seat grab everybody started cutting their plastics and like just every week people like cutting their plastics in different ways because nobody there was no uh, you couldn't look it up in the manual how you cut it because we were we were inventing freestyle every day as it went on so nobody really knew what to do so i remember going to contests and people would have their front fender cut out their back fender cut out uh, a hole here uh they would weld a grab handle here just like you, you guys remember the stage in freestyle when we would cut our front fenders and our back fenders really short you know we thought it'd be yeah, better yeah. for switchblade superman but what what we realized is it never did anything so it just looked lame but at the time i thought it looked cool you know i'd have extended grips for when you come back from doing a trick you'd have more room you know, caught on for a little bit, shaved seat, you know, if we're doing seat grab, that's a must-have in freestyle because you have to have it the, she, the seat shaved uh, hold on to do your seat grab. So that's a must. You guys went remember. pretty crazy with the shaved seats, though, let's be honest. I, I, get, I, get, I, I would agree with you if you had said uh, the cutout handles everywhere, but a shaved seat in freestyle, you have to because you have to oh, have totally. a shaved seat to do a seat grab. So that's something completely different from freestyle or from racing. But back then we wanted nothing to do with racing. You know, we were trying to rebel against racing. That's where freestyle started from. Like, all right, the guy like racing is going to, you know, but not, you know, we love, I mean, dude, supercross racers were and always still are my complete heroes. Like those guys are the real athletes. Those guys are so talented. Uh, it's just crazy. I have people that don't ride and you try and explain how motocross, supercross is the most physically demanding sport. They, you can't really even explain it. I have so much respect for racers, but back then it was just anti, you know, we want to do everything opposite. If the racers were going up there thanking their sponsors, we were going up there and cussing just everything opposite. So everything was different, but yeah, suspension super stiff. I remember going to race tech, my suspension company, company i would just say all right i want it as stiff is if i'm gonna jump 200 feet and land a flat make it that stiff so i can ride away and still live so yeah my suspension was so stiff but yeah we were going for big jumps and it worked in freestyle and um yeah the, the evolution i think now everybody has it down to a t how you have to shave your seat how you have to cut your uh fender and then you know this the, the backflip levers now you know i never got to that level because i was never doing the flips but dude it, it's crazy it's 
I just it blows my head. And now in freestyle, you know, these guys, I feel so bad that these guys are going out there doing double backflips, 360s, like the craziest shit ever. And people don't even care in the stands. You know, they're not even cheering. Yeah, I mean, just like I said, back in, one guy does a seat grab when nobody's seen it, and the crowd is going crazy. And I just watched the evolution of freestyle, and now it's just everywhere, and every single person is doing freestyle. People don't really care because they can't, they can't uh, appreciate what a just a normal backflip does, you know? I mean, dude, I could go out like right now. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a comeback right now. So I'm going to train. I'm going to put my life on the line to do a backflip. Dude, nobody's going to care. I'm going to do a go to a freestyle show. And if I just did backflips every time, which like 10 years ago, you would have you would have been a millionaire. Now, like, dude, who's that dork? You see him. He's just doing backflips. He's not even doing like a double seat grab backflip. That's like the level it got to. And, um. It's crazy. Yeah, like totally. people, the people fact that cannot you can see this stuff on YouTube every single day. You can watch compilation videos and like show me something I haven't seen before. Uh, it is almost really it's, it's almost impossible to do at one of these contests that these guys like it's you're not that wow factor is not there because you've seen it all before. Like even if you and, see yeah, a flare, no, like, yeah, that was just like the flare I saw on YouTube. I say that, and I'm not giving. I'm not disrespecting. Motocross is my my family, my world. I'm saying it's sad that like these guys are so talented, but they don't even like people can't even put their finger on how gnarly of a sport that is. And like, if you come up short, you're dead. And that's like when everybody was starting to do the backflip. That's when I started, um, you know, started going big. Like my whole deal was, I just wanted to find the biggest jump that nobody's gonna jump and go for it. And like, I have a lot of jumps under my record where I was the only guy to hit that jump, you know? And that's kind of what I wanted to, that was my goal. Like, dude, I'm just going to go for the biggest shit that nobody's going to touch. And dude, I did a lot of big jumps, but dude, I had the skill to back it up. You know, I've done a lot of things and it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm just going to hold my bike wide open and just hope I make it. You know, it was all calculated jumps, you know, like everything, everything from the train jump to the main that, uh, 220 foot jump. I knew what I was doing every single time, and I greased every single big jump. And I was very comfortable going big like that. You know, that was kind of my deal. I, I just felt really comfortable going big. And, uh, you know, I feel like people kind of know me as that, not going the biggest, because I'm not saying that, because I know there's guys jumping 300 feet. But at the time, I would show up and I would find a jump that nobody will hit, and I would show people you know i'll back up my shit and i would hit it and pull it smoothly so you know i'm kind of proud of myself for you know at least going big on my bike proving people that i can back up the shit i'm talking and i know how to ride a bike you know um i just never wanted to do a backflip i never signed up to do freestyle to win a contest that was never my goal i never wanted to win because freestyle wasn't about winning we got into freestyle to rebel against, oh, I'm going to do so good at this race. I'm going to go to sleep early and I'm going to win. I never did that. I did freestyle to like party and to do big jumps and just to express myself on a dirt bike, you know? So when it turned into this corporate, like, all right, you guys, you got to do a really good run. You got to get, yeah, right. I'm not doing it. I, I was never into that. So like, that's another thing. I never cared because I didn't get into freestyle for that. So when it turned into like, a contest that took all the fun out of it for me. So that's when I started going big to show people uh, just what's up. I like to ride my bike and I like to show off and get attention on me. Bottom line. 
For sure. And like, I, I can, used to compete in, in freestyle skiing. And the thing I used to hate most about, uh, half pipe runs, and, and it's something that actually has seeped its way into freestyle at different times of, uh, of its, uh, um, evolution is, uh, a, a, a scale out of one out of ten based simply on overall impression. And, uh, that can, is a hundred percent basically, that's, uh, uh, you can call it a popularity contest. You can call it, uh, ooh, that guy had, uh, like some bright colors going on. It's completely just like, oh, uh, like my, basically my, like, just like totally subjective it, like it could like the, the the wind is blowing a certain way and you could have a different overall impression of a certain uh, uh run and that's always where i, I as far as a um a judge sport really um the sp- sport of freestyle kind of like uh, freestyle anything really kind of uh, is almost frustrating in the fact that uh like two guys do the exact same trick one gets this one gets that well should it have like like it's it's impossible like i i always feel for the judges because um all right, Paul, you sound and, and, yeah. hey, I got to interrupt right now. I'm going to tell you guys first. Uh, it's going to come out on a movie, and I swear to God, like, this is stuff coming from judges that I know from Larry Langoggle. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there. All the judges back in the day, they were paid for a lot of those big events. X Games, like, a lot of those judges got paid off. And um, we actually have proof of that, you know? So uh, really? it's just crazy. The judging back then was really crooked, and it was like, popularity contest but you know a lot of the guys that won of course to try and kill all of us you know but a lot of the stuff was rigged um i don't know back then judging was a little off even now like how do you judge these guys when they go that big it's i don't even get it i'm i'm a fan i, I just don't understand it but it's crazy yeah, and like you see Thomas Paget going out there and, uh, uh, all kinds of doing, whether it be bike flips, he's, he's, the bike flipping, sometimes he's flipping. It's unbelievable. It, it, but like, how do you, how do you get into that? Like how, at, like at your level or at the level that you were at until, until flipping, like it was upright tricks, it was some whips, it was flat liners, it was stuff like that. But now, like you have to have so much air sense. You basically have to be a gymnast and in top physical flexible condition. Uh, and then I'm also saying. have some when skills on a motorcycle. Up to me and they're like, oh, I want to be, how do I become a freestyle rider? I don't even know what to tell them. You know, I, I, sometimes I tell them straight up, like, go, go get a baseball bat and a, a glove and go practice that because you're going to have more chances of be getting a lot of money than that than doing freestyle because I don't want to see you die because the level it is, like I said, it's not like racing where you can pay 20 bucks and go to a local track and sign up for 125 beginner get better at that, move to novice, move to intermediate, move up the ranks. Freestyle, there is nothing like that. Like I said, you literally have to go an illegal jump. You have to go do a quadruple backflip, seat grab, double can-can, and put it on YouTube or Instagram. Hopefully, people are going to see it. And then go from there, because there is no real way of like getting into freestyle if you want it. It's sad. Pastrana's like doing... He's He is elevating the sport by his uh, nitro circus and have an open tryouts and stuff, but it's not like racing, you know, it's, I don't even know, man. Hey, this is Zach Cummins from Phoenix Racing Co. You're listening to the big MX radio show. We're going to commercial. We'll be right back. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com. That's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, 
Pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples, and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, talon and kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing products. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market, from supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses, clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral Brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the viral brand. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been tuning power at its finest for motocross racers, off-road racers, you name it. For you two-stroke lovers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Bill'sPipes.com today. And never settle. Hey, this is Adam with Vexy MX, and you're listening to the Big MX Podcast Radio Show. 
Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know if, why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. Crazy. Yeah, oh, totally. And it's, it's honestly, you like, you have to put it on YouTube and hope that, honestly, that Travis Pastrana sees it and he wants you to uh, come into his realm of things and, and, and showcase that because otherwise, uh, I don't know, other than Nitro Circus, how, if they, like, I don't know what other traveling tour that you could really make money on. And I, I think, honestly, there's probably more uh, baseball players in the world that are making an honest living playing baseball than there are people flipping on a motorcycle. So I think you're right uh, that the odds of, of being more successful in America's greatest pastime are probably more likely. Yeah, 100%, man. I'm totally with you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's what to say about it, man. Like I said, I kind of tell people the honest truth. It's, uh, I don't know what to tell them. And it's sad because I do freestyle classes right now. I have a track up, up the street um, from my house and I think I'm one of the only people in like America that does it. And I've, I've had a lot of, a lot of good, good feedback from it and whatnot. But I, there's a track up the road, which I'm repeating myself right now. That's fine. Um, and they have a freestyle ramp in the corner of the track. And this ramp is pushed all the way up against the tabletop jump. So it's only about 30 feet, but I do freestyle classes where you can come out and learn how to hit a freestyle ramp without having to worry about coming up short and breaking your neck, you know? Like, you can literally roll off this, the ceiling of going off the ramp for the first time because there's no other spot unless you know one of these top guys that have their own freestyle course where you can do that. Well, there you go. Like- so a lot of these people, they, they hit me up, and a lot of people have come all over America to do my class. You know, they ride with me for a day. Uh, we push the ramp all the way up against the tabletop. They get a roll off it. We get a scoot back one foot at a time, but it's still a tabletop, so they're not going to get hurt. You know, I don't know where else you can do something like that. And freestyle, you really can't. Maybe accept my class or unless you're friends with one of these guys with their own course, you know. No kidding. And like the, So how does someone reach out to you for something like that? I wish I had something set up right now, but actually the track just, closed down and the guy's going to reopen it in a couple months and i've been doing this for like the last three years really successful so i would say just follow me on my instagram i'm probably going to post something here in the next few months when i'm going to start it up again but um it's definitely rad you know coming out ride with me learn how to hit a ramp safely not having to worry about going home in an ambulance and uh you know it's a good way to see if you really uh want to do this and push it See if you're worth your salt. Well, uh, let, let's talk, let's close this thing down a little bit by talking about the two companies that, uh, you, you've built up, uh, both, uh, Skivvy Underwear and, uh, SMBG. Uh, I'll get into clo- this really quick about my, let's start off with a clothing company and underwear company. Yep. So, of course, everybody knows my nickname, Scummy. And. How'd that come about, by the way? It's really funny. There's so many stories, but of course, you know, um, a lot of people wonder. It's kind of funny. But the truth of the matter is I did the Vans Warp Tour for four years. And that you're it's like a traveling circus. A lot of people know what it is. But, you know, my favorite band is punk rock since I was a little kid. 
you know, we'd go on tour for three months. We had our own tour bus. We'd be on the road every single day with Pennywise, Strung Out, No Effects, Bad Religion, AFI, Green Day, Blink-182. Every single day, you're jumping in front of 30,000 kids on stage with your favorite bands, which they're given, they're so pumped you're on stage with them because they watch you jump. We, we would do a freestyle show every day on tour. So yeah, living on a tour bus for three months in a row, partying every night, riding in front of thousands, um, taking no showers, the lifestyle. And then, uh, so right off the get-go, whoever's on that tour, you are pretty scummy for the most part. And then, yeah, uh, but anyways, the Long Beach Dub All-Stars, they're a band. A lot of people know who they are, but they're Rody. His name was Scummy. He's the OG Scummy at this point. And, um, dude, he was such a wreck every night. He was like the Tasmanian devil. Couldn't talk, couldn't fucking do anything. Just drooling all over the place. And we was, we thought this guy was so classic. We'd hang out with him every night. He was just, dude, he was so gnarly, dude. He was literally, I mean, he's got to be dead right now or in jail for sure. But he was just like, make us laugh every night. So he was the original Scummy. The Bo Manly, he was on tour with me. He's like, dude. Scummy's not on tour with us. You got to carry on the tradition. <laughs> you got to be scummy. So, like, it kind of stuck from there. But then me and Twitch, we had video cameras on Warp Tour every day because our friend Porno Dave, he bought us the cameras. He's like, dude, go out there and just film every day. And we were in di a different state every day. Like I said, we had our own tour bus, jumping in front of thousands. You can only imagine what happens every night. So we did the tour for a couple of years. We came home and we had all this footage. And then, you know, we were smoking weed every night, logging in footage. And we, were, we knew how to edit. And we made the movie, The Adventures of Twitch and Scummy. And then, dude, that movie just spread like wildfire. You know, people are watching. They're dude, these two kids are classic, you know, just smoking weed, getting in trouble, riding their bikes. Like, dude, I want to grow up and be like those kids. All that <laughs> yeah, stuff. you know, so... Uh, just had we were having a great time. We made a movie. It caught on, and of course, uh, the scummy character pretty much evolved after that. You know, I didn't dig it, man. It kind of made a little character, and plus, you know, a lot cooler than just so. Oh, there's calling, you know. So I don't know. I dig it, man. I <laughs> whatever, dude. So yeah, that's where the name pretty cool started, and I, I don't even know what the first question was. We kind of branched off with the old scummy thing. Oh, right, well, uh, my clothing yeah, company. Yeah. So, anyways, before rehab, like, the last year of my drug-addicted life, it was pure hell, and I'd, you know, be in my room just thinking about, I want to do some, and, you know, I, I thought about scumbag, all right, that makes sense, scummy, let's, I want to do a clothing company. Of course, when you're addicted to drugs, I'm never going to ever be successful at this, so it was just an idea, you know. Fast forward, I go to rehab, I meet the love of my life, which I'll talk about next, and then, um, you know, I linked up with my old friend from high school. Been friends with him for a very long time. Um, he's always wanted to do a clothing company. And I told him, like, dude, I got this idea, Scumbag Clothing. So luckily he had some money because I just got out of rehab, so really didn't have anything. So, you know, he really helped me out a lot. His name's Mike Labard. Good friend. He's my business partner. But, you know, he fronted the money. He put about five grand down, you know, got everything, started a company, website, getting clothes, you know, it got pretty big, scumbag clothing, we, you know, things are doing good, we're getting a lot of sales, and then fast forward, this happened about two years ago, and, you know, we realized, right, dude, you know, you're, you're changing as a person, you know, 
and I thought about it, you know, it's not really this scumbag lifestyle, you know, I don't really want to represent that anymore. And I realized like starting to turn into a businessman that most of the people that are into scumbag clothing, uh, they don't have a lot of money, you know, scumbags don't have money. So I don't think the business was really going to go anywhere, even though we were doing good. So we thought about it was, you know, break down scumbag. What could it mean? And then we're like, well, SMBG, that kind of abbreviates scumbag. So we thought, all right, SMBG, what would that turn into? Then we came up with strong motivate. Strong motivation brings glory. So we're like, dude, that makes sense. That's kind of like what I live by. So we changed the name, you know, had everything professionally changed uh website so now it's smbg clothing started from scumbag but now it means strong motivation brings glory um you know it's a clothing company we got we have everything from socks shorts you know a full clothing brand it's doing really good you can you guys can see everything we have at smbgclothing.com you know we work at this every day really hard me and my partner mike and uh yeah it's it's getting legs for sure you know i'm able to be on the other side of the table you know now i'm able to sponsor kids and help out kids so it's really cool how i really got to turn it all around and you know my uh so yeah things are going good working with my dad and uh my other good friend just met class and me been friends with him for a very long time he had a sunglass company he was sponsoring me with and he's like dude you know you and me should start a company together you know let's figure something out and i remember i was sponsored by ethica underwear but dude all the time their underwear would always break on me like i they'd send me a pair and they'd last about a week and they'd fall apart I'm like really? this is bullshit let's do an underwear company but let's do a good underwear company like let's do this shit let's make a quality company you know everything that these underwear companies are lacking so luckily my friend Jeff, he's in the garment world. He has his own business, uh, screen printing business. He deals with all that. He came up. We came up, designed it. Pretty much, I know, this guy's, yeah, of course, you're going to pump it up. It's your underwear company. But if anybody out there gets a pair of underwear and they're not the best underwear, please DM me, and we will send your money back and send your underwear back. We made pretty much what when everybody wears it is, it is the – best underwear they've worn and um you know so i guess i I skipped this part but we had to come up with a name for it um we were going around the table and then my my fiance she's like what about skivvy i'm like what i don't know dude you look it up in the dictionary skivvy that means underwear like it's an old like military term like oh put on your skivvy soldier like you know it's rad so we abbreviated because uh the real way you spell skivvy is s-k-i-v-v-i-e it's too long so we spell it SKVI to, Boom. you know, it's called Skivvy. So it's a perfect name for an underwear company. Um, it's getting really big. We just signed Twitch. We got Jason Ellis on there. We have a, a whole handful of NFL people, major league baseball. I mean, you name it, we have it on the team. It's getting really big, picking up a lot of steam. And, uh, yeah, Skivvy's doing really good. Skivvy.com, you guys can see it. And I, I hold true to what I said. If they aren't the best underwear in the world, get at us and we'll send you uh, we'll send your money back, hands down. But pretty much the clothing company, the underwear company, the only reason they are successful is because I'm sober, you know, because there's no way. 
for one thing that my friends that are my business partners, they would never have came up to me and wanted to do something like this, but I could never, you know, fully put my all into it. And, um, you know, all the stuff I have now, it's all because I got sober and I'm just living life. I'm not doing anything special. I'm just waking up and just motivated to just do bigger and better things every single day. And I'm not just saying that to sound cool, but that's really how I live every single day. You know, well, that's awesome, man. And uh, what we're going to do, especially with uh, skivvy uh, underwear is uh, I've already purchased three pairs online. They're, they're shipping to my place as we speak. But uh, for, for the first three people that email me at bradgebhart88 at gmail.com and give me uh, what tour that uh, Scummy was on when he got that nickname and uh, all th- uh, the first three people will get uh, 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 we'll, we'll get a set of underwear out to you guys so uh, excited to tell, tell you about that and uh, yeah, like, dude you, uh, you've you really uh, come like full circle pop that full 180 I, I, Probably something listen, yeah, yeah, I feel I am just interrupting you, man. But I gotta tell you, one of the biggest reasons I would say the single-handedly biggest reason that I really got my life back on on track is um, pretty much my future wife. And let's see, I think 19 days we're getting married. But hey, see, congratulations! I, I, yeah, thank you, man. But so out of before rehab, I knew this girl Ashley, and dude, I was so messed up and on drugs i think i called her that's when i was like right before rehab when i lost everything i had to move back into my dad's house i had nothing i, I call ashley i knew her. i'm like hey, can you please come over and and let's go on a date and good thing we did not go out at that time because i think i wouldn't be with her right now but so she said no and fast forward when i'm in rehab i call her back I think like when I was already out of rehab, I was in sober living. I call her and I said, Hey, remember me? And, uh, you know, I told her my whole story. How I went to rehab. I had to convince her. And let me tell you to get a girl that you are like in love with to pick you up at rehab when you have no money and try and get her to come out is a really big, uh, feat in itself. But, you know, it took, it took her a while to, you know, muster up the guts to come out and, and pick me up. Do I trust this guy? You know, but I really proved a lot to her. I think on our first date, we really hit it off. And, you know, after rehab, uh, I moved in with her, started slowly just going to her house. And she knew, like, just how much, how motivated I was every single day, just like getting better and better and just motivated. And just like, I went from having no money to making a uh, hundred bucks a week to just, you know, every single day just kept on getting better and better. Our relationship kept on getting stronger and stronger. She has been my rock through all this. She's helped me through everything. Uh, like I said, without her, I wouldn't have anything because out of rehab, I had nothing. She's the one that took me under her wing. And, you know, I proved everything. She really is so amazed at everything because she sees, like, how I how I grew from having nothing to, like, everything I have right now, you know, to having all these successful companies, giving back, and... I'm not trying to brag, but I'm very proud of what I got because it all came from being sober, working very hard. And um, bottom line is with uh, without her, I wouldn't have anything. And that's why I'm getting married to her. So, yeah. Well, I love you. Congratulations on that, man. That's huge. And to uh, uh, recognize where that strength come from and having that support is uh, is essential, especially for a guy like yourself. So uh, good on you. And I uh, hope that it's uh, no doubtly continues. Thank you very much, man. That means a lot. 
for sure. And uh, uh, what's what? Uh, do you guys have a honeymoon plan? I assume that uh, like enjoying some time uh, away from uh, uh, from like just to get, get away would be nice. Yeah, you know, just I right just back. feel like uh, like every day is a vacation, really. So I don't know, man. Like I'm just happy. I can't wait to wake up and go to work tomorrow. Just do my my boring life. And, you know, my life isn't as exciting, but dude, I love my boring life. You know, at night. I'm in bed at eight o'clock. We watch stupid TV shows. You know, most of the nights I take bubble baths, guys. So don't get it wrong. I'm not metal malicious. So crazy. You know, I do have a big heart, you know, and I'm not scared to say it, dude. So I have a boring life in in the big part and I don't care, man. I, I, dude, I love it. You know, people can talk shit, like bring it. What have you done? You know, um, I love my boring life. Uh, of sometimes doing nothing, reading books, snuggling with my little white dog with my fiance. I love it, man. Uh, just living a safe life. Uh, you know, I'm proud to talk about, you know, how uh, simple and easy and fun my life is, but, um, I've been through a lot and it makes me enjoy all the little things that much more, you know, like that's what I'm into. It's just the little things. If I wake up and walk my dog to the park, I'm like, it was a perfect day, you know, um, I don't know. Just every day, it's uh, my whole life is different now. You know, I just enjoy the little things. Um, I don't care what people think. I'm open with my story because I hope I can help others. And uh, I just every single day is a blessing because I really feel like I should not be here. So just every day, I'm happy to wake up. Uh, I have the love of riding my dirt bike again, all because of getting sober. Um, my companies are getting bigger. Uh, if anything. Any hurdles get in the way of my life, it really doesn't matter because I've been through hell and back probably uh, at least 20 times. So nothing really phases me, you know, with my dad getting sick, my mom went through cancer. I've been through it. Uh, my life is good, man. And, you know, you can love me, you can hate me. Uh, I, I'm just telling you how it is, man, just straight up. And like I said, if anybody's out there is dealing with addiction in any way, get at me, Instagram, Facebook. I, I try and give back to every single person. I, I don't think I'm too cool that i'm a a famous guy because i'm not i i like to ride my dirt bike um i lost everything from drugs i got it all back because i'm sober and i'm i'm down to help anybody out that needs help and um i love my boring life right now but it is exciting at times so Absolutely, yeah. man. Well, it's uh, you're still very talented on uh, on two wheels, uh, whether it that be on the back wheel or on the front wheel, uh, all on its <laughs> own. And uh, we, we were glad to have you uh, on the podcast and uh, sharing your story, which I think is extremely powerful and extremely uh, important to to show. Like like I said when I first called you up last Friday, I want to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think we we covered all three of those things. And uh, yeah, yeah, wrap it up with a pretty bow, man. I. I I wish we could have done this last night, but you, you were on five o'clock news or the, the Channel Five news. Oh man, that's another story I'm going to get into right now. But before I I get off topic again, because I'm just going all over the place with this conversation, that we my fiance is from Canada, so that's she awesome. Is a, she's a Canadian man. I think her uh, parents. We go up there all the time. They're from Grand Prairie. Oh, I've been to Grand Prairie. They have, uh, yeah. they have, uh, they have, that's where I used to practice all my inverted tricks for, for freestyle skiing. They have a, uh, like it's called, like Nighthawk or something or. I, something. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but we go up there. So. That's awesome. Canadians, I'm down. I love it up there. I mean, dude, I love Canada. Every time I go up there, man, I'm telling you, you guys have, you guys have it good up there. I'm, uh, 
I love it every time I go there. But yeah, so last night I was uh, really crazy, man. So that train jump I did, um, one guy did it before me, Tracy Monterey and DJ Sweeney. They did it in the first LBZ movie in Chrome. And ever since I was a kid, uh, that jumps like 10 miles from my house. I see it every day. Nobody ever wanted to do that jump because the consequences, like literally a lot of pro dirt bike riders have been there and everybody will say the same thing. They want nothing to do with it because you're about a hundred feet in the air. When you jump it, it's about 175 feet across. Um, right when you land, you have about 60 feet before it's a complete hundred foot drop off. So if you over jump it, you're a dead man. If you come up short, the, the face of it's about 90 feet tall. So if you come up a foot short, you're dead. Um, you have to nail it perfect. But when I did it, uh, you know, I was fifth gear, pretty much wide open. I greased it every time, you know, just for style points. I did it with no shirt. I did it three times, two times over a moving train just to, uh, to get the shot. I think it's on the pipe one, you know, right. a lot of magazines. So I really put that on the map. So, uh, that kid that did the 60 freeway, which I'm sure everyone that's listening knows who he is, Kyle. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's a kid that was on the news everywhere. Like it's big for jumping over the road off the 60. And it's just how crazy social media is nowadays. Cause back, back in the day when I did that train jump, nobody knew about it because there was no cell phone back then. There was no social media. So when on the pipe one came out, everybody knew about it, but that's only people that were in the dirt bike world that bought that movie. So it still wasn't that big of a deal, but, so this kid went for the 60 jump. It was a big deal on social media. It blew up. And then he hit me up last week and, uh, and you know, I want to go for my next big jump. I want to do the train jump. I'm like, dude, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. It's a really big jump. A lot of things could go wrong. You know, if you do go out there, let me know. I'll come out to make sure the lip's good. Cause it's dude, the, the takeoff 70 feet long. It's a massive jump. It's, it's, the most professional jump to clear perfectly there is, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's a really humongous jump. If you come up any way, short, long, whatever, anything goes wrong, you're going to die. You're going to break a lot of bones. Well, one of my buddies called me and said, dude, did you hear some guy just went for your train jump? He's, uh, he's not doing so good. And then I, I get a bunch of, do a bunch of research, call a bunch of buddies. And I guess, Kyle, the kid that did that 60 jump, went out there, went for the train jump, and he hit it, but he put a lip on the top. He oh. put a little kicker on top, and he didn't need that. He didn't know that. He thought you needed that. And I, if I, like I said, if I was there, I would have told him, no way, you do not need that. You're already going so fast. The jump's already 70 feet tall. Going that fast, you're already going to clear the jump perfectly. He didn't know that. I guess he went off at fourth gear, wide open. You know, when you have a, a lip, a little kicker on the top, it's usually, bah, 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 you know, to, yep. so you don't get bucked. He hit it consistent speed and just hit it, and it bucked him up, went over the bars. He pretty much went 170 feet, whatever, off his bike, through his bike. He, he landed and then bounced another 40 feet. A really horrific crash. He's uh, in ICU right now. He's got a lot of... Uh, head problems. I think he has has to do reconstructive surgery on his face. Uh, it's really serious. But like I said, 
when you go into this stuff, you know what you're doing. You know you're cheating with death. So, you know, he knew it. And when I did it, I knew it. You know, my parents didn't talk to me for a week. I'm like, dude, if I die, if I break every bone, it was worth it. This is like what I want to do. I want to go big. Like, I mean, look at Evil Knievel. That was his deal, too. It's just like, you know, kind of just warriors out there on a dirt bike, you know. And I, I understand what Kyle did. You know, I, I, I did that with him. Um, unfortunately, he something went wrong, which could have happened to anybody. Robbie Madison, all these dudes going for big jumps. The consequences are so high. You know, so it, it's just a matter of time and something went wrong and um, it was horrible. You know, I pray for him right now. Um, so, yeah, so I took my dad. When I, I went there and uh, Channel 4 News came up and I was the only person there. And they said, hey, do you know this kid? Come like, yeah, he's actually hit me up. I told him the whole story. I told him, yeah, you know, I was one of the only guys that have actually did this jump and they couldn't believe it. I showed him footage and. You know, they said, would you like to do a story? And I said, yes, I would love to do a story. Because last time when the news reporters did a story on Kyle jumping over the 60 freeway, they didn't know anything about dirt bikes. So they're saying, yeah, this hooligan on a dirt bike is out to endanger other people's lives. Like, they totally made dirt bike riders into, like, made us look like we're gangsters or something. So, like, I'm glad I was there to, like, be a face of the the freestyle guys and the dudes that go big. And I, I told them what was up. I said, you know, this is a lifestyle. This is what we do. Um, normal people won't get it. We do. It's a passion. We just go big. That's what Kyle did. You know, I did it. And then that went on channel four news. And then all of a sudden channel seven news got a hold of me. And then they did the story. Then channel five got a hold of me. So it was like, it was crazy all day yesterday. The news channels were at my house all day so it was crazy you know i'm like i said i'm not trying to reap the benefits from what he did he's the one that went big they just needed a story to like talk about because they didn't have any footage from him so i but like i said i'm glad i got to talk for him saying that he's not just some reckless guy on a, a motorcycle trying to endanger people's lives that this is what he wanted to do and this is just a passion for us we go big on bikes for real like no reason at all just uh maybe get the shot and just to one up our buddies and you know i mean i don't really know the reason for it either but we do it well so. and one thing that i saw from the uh a clip that uh was shared i believe by uh, chris ackerman today was that uh the like the the police officer with total like no real understanding of uh like what's dangerous what's not it is like blanketed that like what the especially the the 60 it was speaking specifically of the the 60 highway jump is that mm-hmm. like yes it was a, it's dangerous that there's cars beneath but it like it, at no point is like unless something catastrophic happens there's no way he comes anywhere close to the cars below so they might as well not even be there it's like that's uh, what i'm saying that that's the news reporters they don't know what they're talking about like they would have yeah. just blown him out like dude he was on top of the takeoff the news reporters like so where's his jump i'm like dude you're standing on it they have no idea what dirt bike riders are so like i said if i wasn't there they probably would make kyle into a bad person so I got to let the people know. And then even like when I show people, like when I did there, like, why would you do that? Like, I remember I was up all night partying before. And like, I, back then it wasn't for social media. I just remember I'm like, dude, you guys, I'm going to go do this jump. Let's go out there and check it. Let's see if I can do it. Like just, it was crazy. You know? And I called up Jay Schweitzer. I'm like, dude, come on, let's film this. And I went out there 
and looked at it, shoveled it for a little bit and just went for it. Fifth gear wide open, pulled it, greased it first time, you know, then I'm like, all right, let's just wait for a train. And then I remember we were all on top of the jump and we heard the train come right. Dude, I remember Jay looked at me. He's like, dude, this is your time. You know, let's do this. And I'm like, hell yeah, it is. I took off my shirt just to get the money shot and did it over a train. And, you know, was there a point? I didn't make $1 out of it, but you know what? what 12 years later That's people are still about, talking though. about it yeah yeah people are still talking about it i could you know tell my grandkids one day like dude your grandpa you know he was sick back in the day when i'm just so bad my tattoos are bleeding into each other i just look like i'm just black from all my tattoos and let me tell you kids i can tell you guys some more stories so it was all worth it man i'm i'm pumped so it was yeah. worth it uh now i feel nice to tell but dude, like i said it's Every person that gets on a dirt bike, you know the you know the consequences. You know you're playing with fire, and when you go to that level of going big, you know the consequences. I I hate seeing it. Uh, you know, I hope I was always hoping that freestyle, like going long distance jumping, wasn't going to turn into like a competition because for a while there there was kids out there doing long distance jumping, and I think one kid from Australia died. He went like 380 feet and like stuff like that. If you fall on yeah. a freestyle ramp, you're going to get hurt. You're going to break a bone. But going big, long-distance jumping, because I did that for a long time, when something happens, yeah, when something happens, you're done. Like, if, if you've never seen anybody come up short on a long jump. I mean, when me and Twitch were doing that 200-foot jump, his chain broke, and it's on Twitch and Scum. His chain broke right before we were about to drop in to go do that 200-foot jump, and it was all on camera. So his chain would have broke off the face. And when you have coming up short on a 200 foot jump, nobody's ever done that yet. Like going that big and something happens to their bike and their bike bogging out, you know, like that. It's just so catastrophic. Like, uh, when I was in my heyday, I did a evil Knievel days, uh, in Nebraska or something. I remember Guy Cooper was there watching me, but I had a ride, uh, trigger gum. I had to borrow his bike. Um, and pretty much we got the ramp back to about 250 feet and we were doing a show, me and one other guy. And when I landed, right when I landed, the bike seized up and the back tire locked up as I was landing, dude, I landed the jump, the back tire locked up. And at that time, I didn't think anything of it. I just put the bike down and I'm like, Oh man, that was close. I have nightmares every, like once a week, I have nightmares of that jump. Like, just thinking about that, if that bike would have locked up going off the jump, like, oh my God, it would have been so gnarly. Like I would have just, I would have got broken half. And like, that's happened so many times, crazy things like that. And like, that's why I'm saying back to like me snuggling my white little dog, taking bubble (laughs) baths, going, walking on the sand. I don't care if I'm writing love songs, man. I am so happy doing all that stuff, man. Because all the stuff I think about, I'm like, holy shit. Like, Oh my God, just having like my heart starts racing. Like, how did I pull that? So like, yeah, I'm so pumped on my boring little life because man, when I think about it, I'm, uh, oh man, it's just my heart's racing right now thinking about some of the stuff I got away with, you know? So I'm really pumped. I want a family. My next step, you know, getting married in a couple of weeks. I want to, I want to be a dad. I want to be a funny dad. I want to be a good dad and just live a boring life, ride my dirt bike strictly for fun help other people get my companies going and just live a good life, man. And just enjoy life for the small things. And like I said, when you ride for profession, that's all you see is motocross. Everything is motocross. And now getting out of that bubble, 
I realized that there's so much more to life than just riding a dirt bike. But when you're in it for a living and that's all you know, you just think that's motocross. When I was riding, I thought I would do it forever. I never thought of a life outside of motocross. But what I've realized now getting out and like having a normal job, dude, there is so much more to life. The game of life is like what it's about, you know, just everything. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a head trip, man. And people understand it. I feel like I'm the old guy now talking to these kids. You know, my parents told me, you know, you're going to grow up one day. And, you know, I did. And I just, I look at life totally different, man. It's crazy. The older you get, the way you look at things. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a trip for sure. Awesome. Um, um uh, I'd love to get let, let you go, uh, Colin. But before that, I know you'd mentioned that uh, you've got a little bit of a documentary coming down the pipe. Give the listeners a little bit of a a, a, a view into that before I let you go. Yes, I mean I'm so blessed, man. Like of all the people that would want to work with me, uh, Troy Adamitis hit me up. Yeah. And for you guys that don't know who Troy is, he's the one that made Supercross Behind the Dream, the great outdoors. Like this Fresno guy, smooth. Oh, everything. This guy like makes motocross like look like the way it should look. He's the best director, filmer, producer there is. And he saw my story. He's like, dude, you know, I want to do something different. I want to do, I want to show the good, the ugly and the bad and really put out a motivational movie. Not that you were just a dirt bike rider that, you know, you're a dude, you had it all, you lost it all the drugs, and you got it all back through sobriety. So right now, I've been working on him, working with him for, you know, six months. We have a lot to go, but um, it's going to be out, I think, this summer. So, you know, we're working really hard at that, and that's going to be, like, a really tell-all. You know, um, I left out a lot of stories tonight because I want people to see the documentary, but it's it's very dark, but it's very positive. You know, I wanted to make this movie where a family could show their kids. They could show this at school. They could show it at rehabs, you know, to show that there is light at the end of the tunnel for anybody dealing with addiction. And, um, you know, it's just going to spread a good word. You know, that's, that was my deal. And Troy's hundred percent with it. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it comes out, man. So you guys will definitely hear about it. I'm sure through a lot of outlets and stuff. So, Yeah. It should be good, man. Awesome, man. Well, this has been a trip. An hour and 45 minutes with a, a guy like yourself going down mer- memory lane and, and back again and uh, some really important things in there. I really appreciate you giving me the time to uh, to uncover uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between tonight. Uh, you've given me more th- than I, I have ever would have asked for as far as time goes. And uh, um, I'm happy to think that maybe we developed a bit of a friendship here because uh, it, was, it was a great conversation. No, I 100% do. Yeah, I really respect you, uh, your show. I, I listen to you. I love it. All my Canadian friends up there, I mean, yeah, thank you guys. And like I said, if uh, 99% of you guys completely look at me like a dumbass and hate me from this, but if one person out there heard this and they're like, you know, fuck, man, if he can do it, I can get sober. I, You know, if he can do it, I can do it. Then you know what? I, I, that one person is better than the 99 people that 99% of people that hate me because uh, that's, that's what it's about, man. So yeah, like I said, I, I don't care what people think and uh, I just hope I can hopefully help people through all this stuff. So yeah, just thank you guys, all my fans still for supporting me. I mean, all the stuff, I get so many positive comments and everything. Just thank you guys all. And uh, yeah, I appreciate this interview, man. And I'm glad I got to tell uh, my story, man, the real, the real story. So thank you. Heck yeah, man. Well, really appreciate the time. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast's sake, we'll cut it off right there.
All right, man. Thank you, and thank you, guys. There you have it, Big MX fans. Colin Scummy Morrison, the good, the bad, the ugly, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast Show, as it is episode 400. Um, I can't thank all of my sponsors enough that have helped me along the way, whether it be W Wheels, um, Bill's Pipes, Moto Ice Wrap, Traction MX, Justified Cultures, uh, even uh, X Brand Goggles back in the day, uh, and and now we have Viral. viral the Viral brand is on board uh, as well, and it's just uh, every single year uh, we've been doing this. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, please reach out to me on social media. Uh, let me know who you are that are listening and uh, and comment uh, within the the posts and stuff that I've made, uh, like promoting each episode and stuff like that. If you guys have any requests. Feel free to, to, to shoot me a line uh, on social media. Brad Gebhart88 uh, is on Instagram. I'm uh, BradGMX95 on Twitter. Uh, and you can throw me an email. Uh, it's BradGebhart88 at, uh, at gmail.com. So please just reach out to me and uh, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me uh, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. Uh, some requests as far as guests or what you want to know more about. If I was to have a guy like Chris Kiefer on or another uh, individual that uh, maybe a riding coach or, or a trainer that uh, might you guys want some tips and stuff like that uh, use me to uh, to get what, what you guys want out of this because honestly I do it for you guys and uh, I love absolutely doing it every single week uh, it's a huge thrill for me to be able to continue doing this and talk to guys like Colin uh, and and some of the, the bigger uh, athletes that I've been able to have uh, and, and the smaller ones too today having uh, guys like um, Stephen Clark and Zach Commons, those guys are up and comers, and those guys are are making their way in a sport at the privateer level, which is extremely difficult to do. And uh, honestly, I can't thank you guys enough for for supporting me and giving me your ears, giving me your time. And uh, I'm going to keep doling these out. This is episode 400, and uh, we're never going to cap how many episodes we're going to do. We're going to hit 800. We're going to hit a thousand. We're going to keep going until uh, Big MX Radio is. Is, uh, is a huge live show that's happening every single week and uh, interviewing the best and the best and uh, going to every single race. Uh, fingers crossed we'll be able to go to East Rutherford in a few weeks from now and, uh, and, and create even more coverage. I hope you guys have been enjoying this as much as I have because I absolutely love it. Uh, like I said, reach out to me, Brad Gebhart 88 on Instagram. You can hit up Big MX Radio on Instagram. Uh, and I'm not way not too cool to... Uh, to not respond to you guys. I, I check to see if I have requests every day as far as messages go. And uh, honestly, I'll, I'll respond to anyone about anything. Uh, I'll take that time to do so because you guys will take the time to listen to this. Uh, again, uh, I've purchased three sets of underwear from Skivvy uh, uh, website, uh, the website, and uh, and hopefully it's a, it's a mail-only uh, website as far as uh, for, for underwear. Email me uh, at bradgebhart88 at gmail.com. The question is, what uh, what tour was Scummy on when he got that nickname? So uh, shoot me that email, and uh, first three get it. So uh, hopefully uh, um, we get we had some people winning the prizes, and uh, we can have that stuff shipped out to you as soon as it gets to me. Uh, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See ya.